I've been ministering from the book of Ephesians, and I've covered Ephesians chapter 1 through Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Last night we covered through chapter 1, and then this morning I covered Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I want to start here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. How many of you are, uh, this will be your first service that you've made during this series of meetings? Could I see your hand? Praise God. Quite a few of you still have over a hundred people, I'm sure. Maybe probably a lot more than that. Uh, I'd encourage you to get the CDs or the DVDs. I haven't got time to go back through all of it. But basically, I've been trying to emphasize that the book of Ephesians is written from an entirely different perspective than what the average Christian has today. The average Christian thinks that God can do anything, but that He has done nothing, and that we have to petition God, we have to do things to make God move. This is written from an opposite standpoint that God did everything through Jesus. It's saying like in Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath, past tense, already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15, he begins to pray a prayer. In verse 18, he prays that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And He would show us what we already have. He's not praying that God would give us something new. And yet I can guarantee you, the average Christian today, if you were to ask them to pray for somebody, they would say, oh God, touch them. Oh God, just pour out your power. Oh God, do a new thing. Move, oh God. It's all about God doing something. The book of Ephesians is written from an opposite perspective about, Lord, help them to understand what you have already done. And I tell you, this is a position in Christ that very few Christians today occupy. The truth is we've all been given these things, but very few people have renewed their mind enough to see themselves as already having everything. They are in the process of trying to get healed instead of saying, no, I am healed and Satan is trying to make me sick and I refuse to get sick. I refuse to allow this pain. I refuse to allow this diagnosis to operate. No, I am healed. I'm not going to be healed. I am healed and I am not going to accept this sickness. Somebody said, well, what's the difference? Either way, you're fighting to get the manifestation of what you want. Huge difference. It is so much easier to fight and defend something that you already have than it is to get something that you don't have. You know, if over on that side of the platform is healing and I said, well, I'm not healed, I'm sick, but I'm going to be healed. You know what? There's an element of doubt in that because I'm not there yet and something could happen. Somebody could come up here and tackle me and keep me from getting to that other side. I could fall. I could fall off the stage. Something could happen. But you know what? If I'm already saying, no, I am here, then you can't stop me from getting where I already am. I'm already healed and Satan tries to make me sick and he tries to steal my healing, but I'm already healed. I am not getting out of the fact that by his stripes I was healed. And I have the same power on the inside of me that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when I have symptoms come against me, You know, I don't always talk about this, but I've had things happen. I think I had a heart attack one time when I ran eight miles and did it too fast at too high of an altitude. And I think I was having a heart attack and I was in between two mighty men of God and I said, pray for me. Life was flowing out of me and they just, they didn't know what they was praying for, but they started praying in tongues. And you know what? I I overcame it. 
And I don't know for sure what's happened. I remember I was out jogging one time and broke my ankle eight miles from home. The thing snapped. And you know what I did? I rolled down about a 50 foot hill, hit the bottom, jumped straight up in the air and said, in the name of Jesus, I'm healed and ran eight miles home on a broken ankle. And it swelled up, but in the morning it was healed. Amen. And I've, I've done a lot of things and some people, you can't do that. Well, then it won't work for you. You don't believe it. But see, I believe that I've got the same power on the inside of me that raised Christ from the dead. And I just do not give place to sickness. I don't believe in getting sick. Amen. Some of you, you're weird. Well, that's my testimony and I'm sticking with it. You need to see that you've already got it. And this is what I talked about this morning out of chapter two, verses one through seven, that he's already quickened us. We've been raised up, made to sit together in heavenly places. And God has already done these things. I'm going to be sharing something tomorrow morning that will, I believe, help you understand that tremendously. But right here in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, this clarified some things for me that were a huge question. And let me just set it up by saying that I experienced the grace of God, March the 23rd, 1968, and God poured his love out in my life and it was completely separate from anything I deserved. In fact, for the first time in my life, I realized that I didn't deserve anything. I finally saw how hypocritical and how ungodly I was. And when I was at my worst and realized that I was a religious modern day Pharisee and I finally admitted it and confessed it, that's when God poured his love out on me. And for four and a half months, I was just caught up in the presence of God. I was gone someplace. And through that, I came to realize that God's love was totally unconditional, that I didn't deserve it. He doesn't love me because I'm lovely. He loves me because he is love. And I saw the grace of God, but there also has to be a part that we play. And this is something that I struggled with for years. I knew that God was good and I knew that his love for me and his power towards me was not dependent upon my goodness and my holiness. And yet at the same time, that didn't encourage me to go live in sin because after all, it's just up to God. I knew that I had to believe and seek and receive and I couldn't understand and I struggled for a long period of time. What is God's part and what's my part? And this helped answer this. Another thing that this helps answer is that the body of Christ as a whole is, you could divide it among the people who are into the grace of God. And that can, you can put different terminologies with that. You could talk about the sovereignty of God, uh, people that are really strong in that, or the faith camp over here, people that preach that you've got to study and pray and you've got to do this. And if you will confess the word and if you will do all of these things and get people to agree, then you can make things happen. And basically, you can divide the body of Christ along those lines. Those who just believe it's totally up to God, it's, it's the grace of God, God sovereignly controls everything, are those who believe that we've got to do something and we make it happen. Uh, some people uh, interpret that as Calvinism and Arminianism. Calvinism are the people 
who followed John Calvin's teaching that you're predestined to be saved, predestined to be damned. Presbyterians really emphasize all of these kind of things. The Baptists really emphasize that, man, there's something you can do. You can make things happen. They're more Armenian. And so anyway, you could just go on describing that, but there's a whole bunch of people that they usually fall down on one side of this issue or the other. And I tell you, all that error is, is a truth taken to an extreme. All Satan's got to do to get you into error is just take a truth, but take it to an extreme and not balance it with the other truths of God's Word. This is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 about the gospel, that people perverted it. It wasn't a rejection or a denial of the gospel. They just added something to it that countered it. And so the truth has to be held in its proper balance. And right here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 is a passage of scripture that God used to just revolutionize my concept and my idea about everything. He says in verse 8, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This says that we are saved by grace through faith. It doesn't say that you're saved by grace or that you're saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. Now, to be technically correct, if you go back to the fifth verse that we covered this morning, in parentheses at the end of the verse, it says, for by grace are you saved. So it's not wrong to say that you're saved by grace if you're just making a point and emphasizing it. But technically, according to verse 8, you aren't saved by grace alone. You're saved by grace through faith. And see, this is the problem. Some people will emphasize the grace of God and fail to mention our part, which is faith. Or they will mention our part and fail to mention the grace of God. It's not what you do. It's what God did, but it has to be received by your positive response, faith. And so there is a balance between God's part and your part. See, if it was only up to God, it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. How many of you believe that? That's wrong. <laughs> I quoted that the way people believe it, not the way it's written. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. See, some, if you just stop and say, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think, that's wrong. He does have that power, but he will never demonstrate that power or release it except according to, that means to the degree of or, accor, or to the power of the, the power that's working in us or in proportion to the power that's working in us. So God flows through us. Grace is God's part. Faith is our part, and there has to be a proper combination of those two. You know, I've used this as an example before. I had somebody challenge me on this, and, you know, I'm not a chemist, so if I get a little detail wrong, give me some slack. Use your brain for something besides a hat rack and translate, amen, so that you get my point and don't stumble over the details. But from my understanding, sodium is poison. And if you eat enough sodium, it'll kill you. Chlorine is poison. If you ingest enough chlorine, it'll kill you. But you mix them together and it becomes sodium chloride, salt, and you'll die without it. That's the way that it is with grace and faith. Did you know that if all you do is talk about the grace of God, it'll kill you? 
It's true. It's poison. If all you do is talk about faith, it'll kill you. Because it's not just up to God, nor is it just up to you. There is a proper balance. God does things by grace and we receive it through faith. And you have to learn to mix these two together. And this is why you'll hear people that are in the grace camp and just saying, que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. It's all up to God. They've got some scriptures that talk about that it's not up to us and it's not our ability. It's up to God who wills. And they will take some truths, but then they just totally ignore the counterpart to it that balances it out about how that, you know, it's God's will. Like for instance, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9, I believe it is, says that God is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will for every single person on the face of this earth to be saved. First John chapter two, verse two says that he is the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God has already paid for the sins of the whole world. It's his will for every person to be saved. But does that mean that every person saved because this is God's grace? This is his will. This is what he wants. No, because you have to believe and receive, or if you doubt, you do without You've got to pay, place a demand. God has provided salvation for every person on the face of the earth. But if you don't respond by faith, then what God has done. And notice those verses that I used over in First John chapter 2, verse 2. It says he's a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has already paid for the sins of every person. Every person has had their sins forgiven, whether they've accepted it or not. The payment has been made for their sins. And if they go to hell, they aren't going to go to hell for those individual sins because they've been paid for. They will go to hell for the singular sin of rejecting Jesus who paid for their sins, who gave himself as such a great sacrifice. And so Jesus, yes, has paid for sin. That's grace. That's God's part. But we've got to respond by faith. And see, there's some people that will just emphasize that it's not up to us, that God has predestinated us. Well, it is true that he's predestinated. There's four times in the Bible, the word predestinated or predestined past tense is used. Two of them are in Romans. Two of them are in Ephesians, the first chapter. And it's actually only two separate instances. And it is not saying that you are you know, predestined to be saved or predestined to be damned. God has a predetermined plan for every person, which is salvation and is wonderful, but he gives you a choice whether you accept that plan. He didn't make anybody to go to hell. He prepared hell for the devil and his angels, not for people. But if you reject his great salvation, you will have your part in the lake of fire. Not because God willed it. You chose it by rejecting his son. So see, there is a truth. And you will hear some people, the Calvinists will sit here. And there are people that actually believe that you're either predestined to be saved or predestined to be damned. What's the point in witnessing to anybody? What's the point in talking to anybody? Well, God's will is going to come to pass automatically. And then that's broken down in much different ways. Uh, people, it's amazing today. People just pick and choose. They aren't really consistent in their theology. They will sit there and on some things say, well, yes, it's God controls everything. 
Nothing happens but what it's God's will. If you're sick, it must be God's will. And then they'll turn around and go to the doctor and take medicine and have surgery trying to get out of God's will. If you are going to be consistent, if God is the one who willed you to be sick, well then stay sick so that you can get the full benefit out of it. It's hypocritical. If you believe God made you sick, why would you resist and try and get out of His will? People just pick and choose and believe what they want to. But see, if God really made you sick, well then why not accept it? I actually heard a woman on a, on a program, if I was to mention the minister, you'd know who I'm talking about. I'm adjacent to him on a number of different stations. And this guy interviewed a woman who had been abducted and her and her daughter were raped by a man, taken out into the woods. He laid them face down, shot them both in the back of the head, killed the daughter. The woman somehow survived and she was, had some physical problems as a result. And she was on there saying that God allowed this that it was God's will, that God's getting glory out of it. All things work together for good to them that love God. I hadn't got time to teach on that scripture, but it doesn't say God causes all things. It's just saying he can make something good come out of anything bad, but he did not cause somebody to rape these two women and kill the daughter. And yet people are blaming God for things like that today. That's, that's an extreme sovereignty of God to where God controls everything. And that's wrong. And so, since the pendulum comes way over here and it's an extreme, you know what people will do? They'll tend to go the other direction and they'll say, no, 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 that's not right. We control our own destiny. And they'll get over here and start talking about faith and that we're the ones that make things happen. And if you aren't careful, you'll get so much talking about faith and what you have to do that after a while you feel the burden. It's like you've got to produce everything. You make God do this. And you have people come out with that kind of an attitude saying, I believe for this. I made this happen. And they totally forget the grace of God over here. Both of those things are wrong. You know, where Jamie and I live, we don't have paved roads. We have dirt roads and they have bar ditches on both sides for drainage. And if you start into one ditch... You know what? If you overcorrect and steer so hard the other direction, you'll hit a ditch on the other side. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. One ditch isn't better than the other ditch, amen. If you want to get somewhere, you got to learn to go down the middle. And just because there's an extreme over here of people that are wrong, it doesn't balance it for you to go to an extreme over here. You got to find the balance in between. And so here are some things that God has shown me that have just revolutionized my life. Grace is what God does for us, independent of us. It has nothing to do with you. By definition, the word grace, uh, according to Strong's, is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. And there's much more to it than that, but that is a really simple definition. And every definition of grace will talk about God's ability available to us, independent of our performance. If it's based on what you do, then it's not grace. It's earned. And so grace is what God does for us, independent of us, and I wish I had more time to explain this, but grace was poured out through Jesus. It says in John chapter 1 that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And grace came to the earth 2,000 years ago. God's grace was poured out on the human race 2,000 years ago through Jesus. And none of us were alive then. 
So this is another great truth about grace is it's not only unearned and undeserved, but it happened before you ever had a problem, before you ever existed, before you ever did anything. Therefore, you have zippo, zilch, nada to do with grace. There are scriptures that talk about that God has given unto every man the grace of God. Grace means it's undeserved. You don't earn the grace of God. If you have to do something, if you have to be holy to get God's grace, then it's not grace. It's independent of you, prior to you, separate from your performance. That's grace. And God does everything by grace. This verse says, by grace are you saved through faith. God by grace sent Jesus to this earth 2,000 years ago before you existed. Before you ever committed to sin, God forgave all of your sins. And some people struggle with this and think, now how could God forgive a sin before I committed it? Well, you better hope that he did because he only died for sins one time 2,000 years ago before you were born, before you ever committed a sin. And if God can't deal with sins before you committed them, then you can't be forgiven. God's grace is not responding to you. See, a lack of understanding has caused some people to think, but you don't know what I've done. How could God forgive me? They think that God is looking at what they've done and then after that deciding whether he's going to forgive them. Before you were ever born and before you ever sinned, God already forgave the sin of the entire world. Sin has already been dealt with. God has already, by his grace, has already covered the sin of the world. Not only the sin that's been confessed, but the sin of the entire world has already been paid for. That's grace. It's independent of us. But does that mean that every person is saved? No, because you have to accept it by faith. You have to put faith in Jesus. And it's like, you know, here's the grace of God. And when you add faith to it, it's like there's a chemical reaction. That's what releases the power of God. God's grace is the same towards every person. But not every person has the same power of God, the same joy, the same healing, the same deliverance operating in their life. Not because grace is different. Again, it's not based on what we do. So the grace of God is the same for every one of you. There isn't a single person in here that has got more grace than somebody else. You may have more grace functional in your life because you've added faith to it and you get it working. But the grace of God is the same. It says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts that we should live soberly and righteously and justly in this present world. The grace of God has come to all men. That's not talking about just uh, males, mankind. It's come to all of mankind. The grace of God is the same for every single person. God didn't give me more grace than he gave you. He didn't give any person more grace. The grace of God that brings salvation. And salvation here isn't limited to talking about just forgiveness of sins. It's talking about healing. Healing is a part of your salvation. Forgiveness, joy, peace, freedom from condemnation, prosperity. All of these things are involved in in salvation. The grace of God is the same towards every person because it's prior to you being born. It's prior to your actions. It has nothing to do with you. It's unearned, undeserved. So therefore it's consistent. 
Every one of us have had the exact same grace released towards us. But it is useless. Matter of fact, Paul said over in Galatians chapter 2, around verse 22, right after he said, it's not me that's living, but it's Christ living in me. He says, I do not make the grace of God in vain. And then in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about that you have believed in God and your faith is in vain. You can't void the grace of God by not believing it. It says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 that the word preached unto them did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The word of God has the exact same potential in every single person's life, but it has to be mixed with faith. Some of y'all are looking at me like, this is not entertaining. I'm having to use my brain. I'm having to think. And most people come to church just to be, get a goosebump, go up and down your spine, have something exciting happen so that you can just go home and say, oh, I felt the spirit of God and you didn't learn a thing. I encourage you to use your head for something besides a hat rack and listen to what I'm saying. This will help you. Amen. Every person in here is hearing the same word, but some people will be transformed through this, not because I'm speaking a powerful word to this side of the auditorium and a less powerful word over here. The word out of my mouth is the same to every person in this auditorium, but there are some people here that will mix it with faith. There are some people that will reject it because of your religious tradition. There are some people who are sitting here thinking about you're missing your favorite show and your attention is not on what I'm saying. And all kinds of different things. But the word has the exact same potential in every single person's life. It's not my word that's different. It's the different hearts that make the difference. The grace of God, the word of God is the same towards every born again believer. It is, it happened before you were ever born again. It has nothing to do with you. God is the same. He has the same potential the same will for you to prosper that he does for any other person. God has never willed a dud. He's never willed a failure. He's never willed for you to be sick and poor and a failure at all. God has a perfect plan for your life. That's the grace of God. But you can either void it, you can ignore it, and you can stop God's perfect plan and grace from coming to pass in your life if you don't respond in faith. Amen. There is a part that you have to play. I was talking to one lady here that her son got hold of grace. He'd been living kind of a legalistic lifestyle and just thinking that he had to earn everything. Now he's understood grace and so that allowed him to go shack up with his girlfriend. You know what? Again, I go back to Titus chapter 2. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. If you truly understand grace, grace doesn't mean that it's just up to God and that you have nothing to do with it. There is a part that we have to play. Your holiness doesn't make God love you. But if you ever understood how much God loved you, that should make you live holy. Holiness should be a byproduct of salvation not a way to salvation. Holy living is a fruit and not a root of salvation. So grace is what God does for us. And God has a perfect plan for every person in here to be born again 
Every person in here to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every person in here to be able to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, raise the dead. Every person in here to have every one of your needs meant so that your needs are not even an issue. You are here to bless other people and you're praying for abundance so you can get beyond yourself and bless other people. God has every person in here should be living a victorious life. That is the grace of God that has come unto every single person. But some people believe it and others don't. Some people believe it a lot. Some people believe it a little. And because of that, as many different people as we have in here, that's how many different manifestations of God's grace we have going on in here. Not because the grace is different, but because our faith is different. Grace is what God does for us. And then faith is our... Listen to this. You know, this may sound simple to you. But it took me 20 years to figure this out. This is a super revelation. This would change your life if you can understand what I'm trying to say. Faith, let me say first of all what faith is not. Faith is not something you do to get God to move. If you think that you do this, you confess the word, you go to church, you pay your tithes, you do something and this makes God heal you. Well, then you aren't putting faith in grace because you believe that you can affect this grace. Grace, you can't affect it. Grace is something that's independent of you. It happened 2,000 years ago before you ever were born, before you ever had a problem. Grace is what God does for you independent of you. It has nothing to do with you. Your actions can't make God do anything. Grace is God's part and grace is independent of you. And so most people think that faith is something I do to make God's power manifest. And I couldn't tell you how many people have come up to me and have said, what am I doing wrong? I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. I go to church. I pay my tithes. I've confessed 555 times that by his stripes I'm healed. I've had people lay hands on me until they rub all the hair off the top of my head. How come God hasn't healed me? Because you think that grace is a response to your faith. You are trying to do something to make God move. And that, that isn't grace. If I had a day or two, I could teach you that that's what the Bible calls works and legalism. Anytime you think you make God do something, that's religion. God does everything He does by grace because He loves you, because He anticipated what your needs were before you ever were born. He already forgave your sins. Before you ever got sick, he had already paid for all of your sickness and disease. And by his stripes, you were healed 2,000 years ago. Before you ever had a financial need, he had already blessed you with all spiritual blessings. And he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9. Before you ever had any problem, he already by grace had provided the need before you ever had a problem. And faith is not something you do to get God to move. And if you have that mindset... That is the very reason you aren't seeing God's power manifest because you are tying it to yourself and to your actions. And let me just clue you in. There is not a person in here that deserves anything from God. And the moment you get to thinking, oh, but I'm, I'm living holier than I've ever lived. I fast and pray. 
and I do this and this and this. The moment you start basing your relationship with God and what God is doing on your actions, Satan's got you. Because you might be better than you've ever been. You might be better than I am. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he will just keep picking at you and looking until he finds a wrong attitude. Something that you fail to do. And every one of us will fail. And there are people in here that you are trying to become good enough. So that God can respond to you and heal you. And that's the very reason that you aren't seeing the power of God. It has nothing to do with your goodness God, by grace, provided healing for you before you were ever sick. And there's nothing that you can do to make it happen. And it is not your sin that's keeping it from happening. God, by grace, has provided it. It's already done. So here's what faith is. Faith is not something you do to get God to move. But this is a great definition. Faith is simply your positive response To what God has already done by grace. Boy, that is awesome. Faith is a positive response. It is not something you do to gain a positive response. God's not responding to you. I'm saying some powerful things here. This, this answers a lot of questions. People think all the time, well, this person prayed and prayed and prayed and they still haven't seen anything happen. Why isn't God moving? Does God not love me? You don't understand grace and faith. You think that you pray, then God should do this. God is not responding to your prayer. God has already provided everything you will ever need. And all prayer is, is an opportunity to, here's another definition of faith that saying the same thing. Another way of saying it, faith is just your way of reaching out and appropriating what God has already provided by grace. If you are praying, trying to get God to heal you, then you think that God is responding to your prayer and to your intercession and you're just waiting on God to respond to you. That's the reason you aren't healed. You've got to see that you've already been healed. Grace has already provided it. He's already placed on the inside of us the same power that raised Christ from the dead. God has already released His power and you are not waiting on God to respond to you. God is waiting on us to have a positive response to what He has already done. But there are very few Christians that look at it this way. Most of us are thinking, oh God, I know that you can heal and I'm, I'm going to lay hold of you and not let go until you bless me. You're going to make God move. You're going to grab hold of the horns of the altar and shake it until God comes out. And if your prayer doesn't work, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to fast. And you don't know why poor, unresponsive detached, uncaring God hasn't responded to your prayer, but about the time you're ready to blow away and waste away and you're hurting and you're in agony, but well, even then somehow you're going to move this God with your fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer does not, uh, well, let me rephrase that. Fasting does not affect God. I've got a great teaching on this from Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. It says this kind goes not out, but by prayer and fasting. And some people think that that's talking about demons. And there's certain demons that only respond to your prayer and fasting. That's not talking about demons. If you ever meet a demon 
that won't respond to the name of Jesus and faith in his name, then your fasting's not going to help. <laughs> Fasting doesn't make some demons leave, whereas other demons, the smaller ones, can just respond to the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is enough for any demon. It's not talking about that certain demons only come out by prayer and fasting. The subject in verse 20, of course, if you've got the NIV, Matthew 17, 21 isn't even in there. They don't, they don't include that in the Bible. So you wouldn't believe this. <clears throat> Take that for what it's worth. But in the real Bible, it says... That this kind, talking about this kind of unbelief only comes out through prayer and fasting. God doesn't respond to your fasting. Fasting isn't like twisting God's arm and getting greater leverage on him. And I don't know why I've confessed and I believed and I prayed in the name of Jesus. That hadn't worked. But fasting, I'm going to do this until I just make God move. Y'all would never say it that way, but I can guarantee you there's some of you that have thought exactly what I'm saying. You probably wouldn't put it in the terminology because that's just too blatant. But you know what? That's exactly what a lot of people do. And if, if your prayer won't get it, well, then what you're going to do is call the prayer chain and you're going to get a hundred people to put pressure on God. And God won't respond to just one person praying in the name of Jesus. But maybe if we could get a thousand people, we'll just pressure him into doing this. That's what all of this intercession about revival is. He won't just respond to one person. But maybe if we get a million people praying and agreeing and praying around the clock, we can make him send revival. Brothers and sisters, that's the reason that we aren't seeing revival. It's because we are trying to make... It's like, I actually said this one time. I'm not trying to criticize you over something that I haven't done. At one time, I actually got to interceding. And I remember screaming and yelling and hitting the wall. And I told the Lord, I said, God, if you love the people in Arlington, Texas, half as much as I did, we'd have revival. <laughs> and as soon as I said that, I thought, this is not good. <laughs> Something is wrong with this picture. I was actually thinking that it was me that was trying to make God. The truth is God wants revival more than we want it. He wants this person saved more than you want it. You don't have to plead with God. I had a woman come to me one time and she says, I've been praying for my husband for 20 years and God hadn't answered my prayer. Would you pray? And maybe God will hear your prayer. And I said, no, I will not pray. I said, that is an insult to think that somehow or another, God doesn't care about your husband and he needs us to beg him for this person to be saved. I said, God wants them saved more than you do, but they've got a choice. And then I taught her what's the proper way to pray for a person to be saved. I tell you what, I'm just countering so much religious stuff tonight. This may be an overload for you, but so anyway, I forgot where I was. Say again. Oh, I was pounding the wall and saying, God, if you love Darlington, Texas, half as much as I do, you'd save them. And boy, the Lord just got on my case. You don't need to plead with me to save people. He's already done everything about saving them. His grace is there. Now what we need to do is pray for their hearts to be softened and rebuke the devil that blinds their eyes. But you don't have to plead with God to get a person saved. God's already done it. So faith isn't something we do to get God to move. Faith is just our positive response 
to what we believe God has already done. Instead of saying, Father, I believe that you can heal and I'm not leaving until you heal me. You're in unbelief. You're in works. You're in performance. You're going to make God heal you. It's going to be your goodness. God isn't good enough to do it without you forcing it. That's not good. The right response is to say, Father, thank you. By your stripes, I was already healed. And you've already placed this power on the inside of me. And Father, you've anticipated this problem. Before the doctors ever found what was wrong with me, you already healed me of it. Everything I need is already done. And now I just rest in you. Father, I believe I've already got it. And help me to respond in faith instead of fear to what you have already provided. It's not about you making God move. It's about you moving over into faith, into a position where you just reach out and receive the goodness of God. And see... There are people that ignore our part and they just preach it's all up to God. That leads into this extreme sovereignty of God where case sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be. It's just up to God. We have nothing to play with it. And I guarantee you, you'll die that way because you aren't going to take your authority and speak and do the things that you need to do to release the power of God. So that's wrong. But then there's people on the other side that'll go get over here into, I'm going to do this and I'm believing God and I'm going to make this happen and I'm going to intercede and I'm going to force the power of God. You're ignoring the grace of God and you think that God is responding to you. And that's wrong. That's arrogance. There is a balance between these two. You know, Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says... Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Future tense. You have to believe you receive when you pray and then you shall, future tense, have it. Now let me just analyze that verse. Keep that up there for a minute. It says whatsoever things you desire. What does whatsoever mean? It means whatsoever. It means anything. Did you know that there was actually a woman in Arlington, Texas, who had a Bible school back during the early days of the charismatic move, and she taught that you could just believe for anything. And so what she wanted was Kenneth Copeland to be her husband. That was what she desired. And so she chose Kenneth Copeland as her husband. And the small detail that Kenneth was married to Gloria Copeland was dealt with by she just cursed Gloria and commanded Gloria to die and to get out of the way so that she could marry Kenneth. And then in her Bible school, they had a banner with this verse up about whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive and you shall have it. And she quoted that verse she had on a wedding dress and she married Kenneth Copeland in the spirit. Of course, he wasn't there physically, but in the spirit, she married Kenneth Copeland and then just waited on Gloria to die. That was back in the 70s. And guess what? Gloria hadn't died yet. And she's not married to Kenneth yet. It didn't work. And some people will think, well, of course it did. Well, why not? It says whatsoever things you desire. Doesn't this mean that you can just pray and you can, by faith, make God do anything? See, the reason that that won't work that way is because God, by grace, did not provide murder 
and adultery as part of what Jesus provided by grace. Faith doesn't make God do anything. God has already chosen what he wanted to do and he's already done everything through Christ. And all faith does is just reach out and partake of what God has already provided. If God didn't provide murder and adultery in the atonement, your faith can't make him do it. If you're believing God for a $2 million house and if that's not God's will for you and God wants you to go to Africa or to do something else, you can stand and pray and try and confess and make God do something all you want to. But if God hasn't provided it, if if that's not part of his plan for you, you can't make God do it. This is why you can't take Mark 11, 24 and say, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I'm going to rob a bank and get away with a million dollars and they will not catch me because I confess it with my mouth and believe with my heart. It won't work. This is also why you cannot say, I'm going to win the lottery. God is going to help me and I'm going to win the lottery because gambling is ungodly. It is an ungodly system. God will never fix a gambling, a raffle thing so that you can win. And there are some of you sitting here, I don't want you to raise your hand that have prayed that you could win the lottery, that you, I've done it. You know how I realized that was wrong? Jamie and I were in desperate need of a car and W.O. Bankston in Dallas, Fort Worth was giving away a brand new Mark IV Lincoln Continental. And I thought, oh, this is a piece of cake. I'm a believer. Man, I know faith. I know confession. I can have what I say. So I started confessing. That's mine. And I was excited and I went to church and I couldn't wait to tell some of my friends that, man, I was going to win this Mark IV Lincoln Continental. And before I could tell them, one of my friends came up and says, man, W.O. Bankston's giving away a Mark IV Lincoln Continental and I have confessed and believed that I received it. And I thought, now, wait a minute. Which one of us is God going to answer? And all of a sudden I realized, you know what? You can't use your faith to make God fix the lottery or fix a drawing. God doesn't do stuff like that. God by grace has not provided you with the ability to gamble and go in and get the right combination so that you can win something. That's not provided for you in the atonement. So therefore you can't confess it with your mouth and get away with it. You can't rob a bank and not be caught because you're going to use Mark eleven twenty four. See, God doesn't respond to you, but if God provided something in his atonement, then all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that you receive and it shall come to pass. But it has to be something that God has already provided. Faith doesn't make God do anything. All faith does is receive what God has already provided. And once you understand this, it just takes all of the struggle. There still is a fight, but it's a good fight. It's not the fight wrestling with God like Jacob in the Old Testament. We're a New Testament person. We don't have to wrestle with the angel of God and have our hip out of joint and limp through life the rest of our life. That is not New Testament. In the New Testament, we aren't wrestling with God. We aren't trying to get God to do something. The wrestle is, the fight is just, you're fighting this unbelief. The Bible says, by his stripes you were healed. And so you just rest in it and say, Father, thank you. I believe that I'm healed. I know it's mine. I've got it. But then the doctor says, well, nope, you're still sick. It's gotten worse. And you're going to have to fight 
those thoughts of unbelief that make you go by what you feel and what the doctor says more than what the Word of God says. You're going to have to fight your unbelief. You're going to have to fight the fear. You're going to have to fight those thoughts where you saw somebody else try and believe God and they died and you say, what makes me think I'm going to get anything different? There is still a fight, but it's the fight of faith. It's the fight against unbelief. It is not fighting with God. It is not wrestling with God and making God move. And once you understand this, it really just makes it really simple. Father, you've already anticipated every need that I've already, uh, that I'll ever have. You've already done it. Nothing's going to catch you by surprise. You poured out your grace 2,000 years ago. God's not healing people today. He's not saving people today. He's not setting people free today. He did all of that 2,000 years ago through Jesus. And he released all of this power into the earth. And when you got born again, all of that power of heaven came on the inside of you. And God isn't healing you when you get sick. He's already healed you. And when you pray, you just reach in and draw out a little bit of this power that was given you before you ever got sick and you see this physical healing take place. But the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it's verse 12, that Jesus is now seated at the Father's right hand. He's not working. He's not up there striving. He's not interceding. He's not doing all of these things. He's seated. His work's done. Now he lives to make intercession for us, but all he's doing is just pointing at the blood. It's there. He's just constantly reminding. The scripture says he's seated. It's done. It's over. He doesn't have to lift one finger to get you healed. He already placed the healing power on the inside of you. And all you got to do is just mix a little faith with it. And boom, the power of God that is already on the inside of you will come out. Here's the way that I respond to things. I sit there and I say, Father, I thank you that by your stripes I was healed. I don't have to get you to heal me. You've already placed your healing power on the inside of me. But I don't want it just in my spirit. I want it out in the physical. I need my body to respond. So I take the tools that you've given me. You not only gave me the power, but you gave me authority to exercise that power. And one of the ways, it says, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, your words are how you release power. It says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so I'll say, Father, thank you that you've healed me, that I've already got this healing power on the inside of me. It's already done. I don't have to get you to do it. You gave it to me by grace. It's already here. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. And now I just use my words and I come against this sickness I come against disease and I curse you sickness. I curse you devil. I curse you cancer. I speak against you pain. I command you to die. I command you to get out of my body. I don't talk to God and say, God, would you command the devil to get out of my body? I take my authority and just stand and enforce what I believe God has already done by grace. And I say, I kill this cancer in the name of Jesus. You know, I speak to my eyes. When I was a teenager, I had to have glasses and I couldn't read. And you know what? I just decided I was going to believe God and I speak to my eyes and now I'm 61 and I've had some things where my eyes, I guess it's normal for people to start having some problems. But the Bible says that Moses was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated nor his eyesight dim and what I have is better than them. So I speak to my eyes. And you know what? I can read the small print in this Bible. 
I can do things. And, and I have gotten better in the last few years. My eyes are getting better because I'm speaking to them. I'm taking this power and I'm taking this authority. And I don't ask God to heal me. God, by his stripes, I was healed. So I speak death to, uh, you know, any kind of sickness or disease that could come against me. And then I speak life and say, if Moses was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated, nor his eyesight dim, then praise God, I'm going to have clear eyesight. I speak to my eyes. I'll look in a mirror and look me eye to eye and say, eyes, you're healed in the name of Jesus. Eyes you see in Jesus' name. You read good in the name of Jesus. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. You're having to peer at the world through little glasses, amen. You're, I'm not against that. You can, you can wear glasses. God doesn't love you more if you don't wear glasses or love you less. It's just I'm going to receive what's mine, praise God. There's nothing wrong with wearing glasses. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But brothers and sisters, we, we have this power on the inside of us. But see, many people are afraid to engage their faith, to enter into a battle because you aren't sure God will do it for you. And rather than run the risk of God not answering your prayer, it's just easier to adjust and get along with it. But if you understand that he's already done it and that he's provided this and that every one of us can walk in absolute total health so that according to Psalms chapter 91, no plague even comes nigh our dwelling. You not only can get to where when you get sick, you get well, but you can get to a place to where sickness doesn't even come near you. If you understood that and if you really believe that that was yours and if you knew that God had already done it, you couldn't fail to get what you've already got. Then you'd get in and fight and say, praise God, I'm not going to settle for less. But see, most people don't believe that God has done anything. There is power available, but they see it as a, a hard process about how to get God to move. And what do I have to do to make God heal me? You got to renew your mind and recognize he's already done everything by grace. And all faith is, is not something that you do. It takes the work out of it. It's a rest. Faith is actually resting. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about this. You have to labor to rest. That sounds contradictory. Man, if I'm resting, well then why do I have to labor? Because it takes effort to get to a place to where you don't feel like I've got to do something to make God move. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to be in control. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done to rest and say, Father, I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the banker says. I don't care what my mind says. This is what your word says and I'm resting in it. I'm not moving off of it. This is what your word says. This is where I live. That'll be the hardest thing you'll ever do. It'll take labor to rest in God's grace. But man, this has changed my life. It totally changed everything. You know, I remember a time when our son got sick. He was only, uh, I forgot what he was. He was born March the 23rd and this was at Christmas time. So that was eight months, nine months old. And he got so sick that for three days he didn't move. He didn't do anything. He was running a high fever. And we didn't take his temperature to find how bad it was. But I mean, it was a high fever. He didn't eat. He didn't do anything at eight or nine months old. 
And we were fighting thoughts of, man, brain damage, that this is something that's going to kill him. I was praying and believing everything I could. And anyway, after three days, we saw this fever break and he got better and it was over. Then next year on the exact same day, he got sick again and the same thing started happening. And man, I, I prayed and I believed God and it broke and he got over it. And that happened for like three years or something like this. On the exact same day, he would get sick with the exact same thing every year. I don't believe it was just physical. I believe it was a demonic attack. And anyway, I saw it coming. And I saw him beginning to get worse. And I was saying, God, I don't want to go through this again. And I was praying and saying, God, what's wrong? And he told me, he says, the problem is you're fighting, trying to get him healed instead of fighting because you believe he has been healed and you are going to refuse to allow the devil to make him sick. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but when he told me that, it's like somebody flipped a switch in my brain and it was like, oh God, I've been trying to get you to heal him instead of trusting that by his stripes you were healed. And so instead of asking God to heal, I just stood there and I said, no, this is ours. I refuse this sickness. And I got mad at the devil and I told him to leave my son alone and boom, that thing was gone and it never came back. There is a difference in trying to get healed and saying, no, I am healed. And Satan is trying to steal from me what I have. Some of you still haven't got that. And you know, I can't make you understand it. But if you'd pray, the Holy Spirit could explain this to you. And I tell you, you can move into a place to where you know you've already got it. Matter of fact, until you see on the inside that you're healed, you won't get healed on the outside. Until you see yourself already healed, then you won't be healed. There's a lot of people who embrace sickness, who see sickness. They see themselves as a failure. They see themselves one way, but they're praying for something else. And the scripture says, Proverbs 23, 7, as you think in your heart, that's the way you're going to be. And if you see yourself as a loser, as a failure, as sick, if you see yourself dying and yet you're praying for healing, you're going to die. As you see you things in your heart, as a man thinks in his heart, that's the way it's going to be. And the problem has been we haven't seen what God has done. We think that God could set us free, but he hasn't. What you've got to begin to recognize is that in your spirit, you are as free as you can possibly get. God has already placed this power on the inside. You have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead here. God has anticipated every problem you'll ever have and it's already on the inside of you. And all you got to do is renew your mind. Your mind is like a valve, like a spigot on a water tap. You got that water right there piped into your house, but it's not going to come out that thing until you turn that valve and release it. You've got this life of God on the inside of you. But until you renew your mind and get to where you see yourself healed, see yourself already blessed, it's not going to flow through you until you get your soul in line and then it'll flow into your physical body. Man, that's powerful. But it is, I still fight, but now I don't fight God. I fight my doubts. I fight the devil. I fight the temptation to doubt And I just rest in the fact that God, you're a good God. And you know, there's some battles that I lose. 
There's people that I've prayed for who I know God provided healing for them and for whatever reason, and I don't understand it, they went ahead and died. And I don't have it all figured out, but I know that it wasn't God that killed them. I know it wasn't God who failed to move. God, by grace, had already provided it, and somewhere we just failed to respond properly. And you don't know what's going on on the inside of people. One time I had a guy who was on his deathbed. He had been in the hospital for six days. They said he wouldn't live. And finally, he just kept living. And they allowed him to rent an ambulance and come home. So his wife called me and put the phone up next to his mouth because he couldn't even hold the phone. And he was just whispering and he told me the situation. And he says, they say I'll be dead in 24 hours. And I said, don't you dare die till I get there. And so I went over to his house and for every day or every other day for about three or four months, I just started pumping the word into him and telling him, you are not going to die. You're going to live. And I started building him up with faith. And I mean, he got to where he couldn't even hold the phone up. He was up walking and driving and eating. He had a cancer and he was getting better and stronger and everything was going good. And one day I was on the way over to his house and the Lord just spoke to me and said, he's give up. He quit. And at first I thought, well, I'm not accepting that. I'm not going to let him quit. And then I just got to thinking, I said, Lord, is this you? And I wasn't sure. So instead of me going in and just telling him what he was going to believe, I went in and just started asking questions. So where are you today? Where are you? How are you feeling? What's going on? And I didn't tell him. I let him tell me. And he told me, he says, you know what? I've just quit. He says, I, I know I'm getting better, but it's a fight. And I'm, he was 60 or 70 years old. And he says, I'm ready to go. I just want to get out of here. I want to go to be with the Lord. And so I told his wife, I said, God spoke to me that your husband's just quit. And I said, you can either sit there and try and force him to believe and get healed, which isn't going to happen because he has more authority over himself than you do. Or you could just enjoy your last days together and have a good time. And she rebuked me and said, that's not of God. And told me that, man, you aren't welcome back if you're going to speak unbelief. So I just quit saying anything. I went back. Anyway, he died in just a very short period of time. And did you know after his funeral, they read in his diary. And on that date, he wrote down, I quit. And he says, nobody else will understand it. So I'm still going to say that I'm healed. I'm still going to confess it by his stripes I'm healed. I'm going to talk about it. But says, in my heart, I'm ready to go. And he wrote all of this down. You don't always know what's going on in a person's heart. And so it's hard for us to sit there and judge and say why it didn't work for this person. You aren't God and you don't know. But I can tell you this based on the word of God that God's grace is for every person to be set free, delivered, healed. Somebody says, well, if that's so, then how are we going to die? You don't have to die sick. Just go to bed and don't get up. Amen. Just be like Jesus and give up the ghost. This whole concept that you have to somehow or another die with some terrible disease is a demonic thing. Moses just went up on the mountain. He was 120 years old and then he climbed a mountain. Amen. And he just walked up there and never came down. 120 years old, still pretty healthy. You don't have to die sick. You know, Kenneth Hagin always confessed that he wouldn't die sick. And uh, he, he died actually. 
And uh, his family revived him and put him on life support. And they kept him alive for, I think, either six or seven days. But he was gone. They just had his body artificially pumping stuff. And finally, they said he's brain dead and they let him go. And some people would say, well, he struggled for a week. No, he died. And just medicine artificially kept him alive. But he died just like he said he would. He, he was doing fine. A friend of mine went over and saw him that night and brought him some food and talked to him. And his mind was healthy and everything was fine. And he just died. You do not have to die sick. Amen. I tell you, some of the weird thinking that we've got... We think we got to get old and decrepit until Moses was 120 and he was still strong. Well, then you know what? If Moses could do that under an inferior covenant, I can do it. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to see good. I'm still going to be of a sound mind and I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And when it's time for me to go, I'm gone. You don't have to get sick. You don't have to do all of this. It's amazing the thinking that we come up with. So anyway, God by grace has provided everything and all you got to do is by faith, just respond. Appropriate what God has already provided by grace. It's that simple. And this is the reason that you've got to renew your mind because most people don't know what God has provided. Most people don't understand that healing, God wants you well just as much as He wants you forgiven of sin. God would no more want you to be sick than He'd want you to commit adultery. He died for your healing just as much as He died for your forgiveness of sins. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might be made rich. Financial prosperity is just as much a part of what Jesus died to do as forgiveness of sins. He doesn't want you to be poor any more than He wants you to go out and murder or steal. Thank you for that one amen. See, most people just, oh, no, salvation is about forgiveness of sins and these other things are add-ons and they're just extras for just a few people. No, Jesus by grace has provided healing, deliverance, prosperity, salvation, all of these things for every single person. And if you aren't experiencing it, it's not God who hasn't given, it's you that hasn't received. You may be trying to force Him to heal you instead of just receiving what He's already done. Big difference. Man, I tell you, I've said a mouthful tonight. I've said a lot. I just pray that God helps you to understand this. You know, when it comes to uh, certain things, like if it was healing, I could take scriptures and for anybody who says they believe the Bible, I could back you into a corner and I could show you scriptures that you would just have to intellectually say, all right, I see it, that by His stripes we were healed. If it was prosperity, I can show you that he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. I could argue you into that. And you may still not embrace it, but you would have, if you were going to be honest, you would have to say, all right, I see it. But you know what I'm talking about here? It's so contrary to the way people think. I can't argue anybody into this. It takes a revelation from the Holy Spirit to get what I'm talking about because this just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense that I've got something that I can't see or feel. 
But it's true according to the Word. And I just can't make people see this. I quit arguing a long time ago. You just need a revelation from the Holy Spirit. And let me also say that this is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important. It's one of the reasons that I stress at every single one of our meetings about people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Because there's many things that happen, but one thing is that when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is sent to lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever Jesus spoke to you. John 14, 26. He is sent to reveal. The Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the Bible and He will interpret it to you. And the Holy Spirit, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one of the benefits is your revelation, your understanding just goes through the roof. And if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you will never comprehend, embrace, and live in what I've talked about tonight. It'll leave you. Even if you see it tonight, you won't be able to recall it. You won't be able to walk in it. It takes the Holy Spirit to walk in this. And so you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If there's anybody here tonight who hasn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, man, you need to receive it. You need to speak in tongues. It's absolutely essential. Somebody says, so do you believe that you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? No, I don't. I believe you can get there without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe you can get there quicker without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Because you aren't going to understand the things of God. And you aren't going to walk in the power of God. And something will kill you along the way. But you'll still go to heaven. No, you don't have to have the Holy Spirit. You get to have the Holy Spirit. It's a tremendous benefit and asset. Boy, what a blessing it is. Is there anybody in here who does not have this baptism of the Holy Spirit? You don't speak in tongues, but you'd like to receive it. Anybody here tonight? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's some people over here. We've already had 127 people, I think it was come and get these books, but praise God, we don't want anybody here to leave without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? I think there was two people over here. Anybody else? I see some hands. Here's another one. Praise God. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come down here and we want to pray with you and help you to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just get up and come forward right now. Praise God. Let's praise the Lord for these. I tell you what, this is going to change your life. You'll never be the same. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. I believe you all are going to get stronger and horseradish. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the way that I got the revelation of what we're talking about is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I saw some scriptures that I couldn't understand. And I said, God, what does this mean? And what I would do, especially back in the very beginning, I would spend hours and hours and hours praying in tongues over Scripture and asking God to reveal to me what those Scriptures mean. And the Holy Spirit, as you pray in tongues, it's just like you flip a switch and it pushes you into the spirit realm. 
it pushes you out of your natural mind and it puts you into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins to quicken your mind. When you speak in tongues, it's foolishness to your natural mind is what the Bible says. When you speak in tongues tonight, it's not going to be like, oh man, that sounds wonderful. Instead, you're going to think that's silly. I don't understand what this is. Is that a real language? Those are some of the thoughts that you'll have. And you know, that's exactly why speaking in tongues is so powerful because it makes you go beyond your natural self and you have to go into faith to speak in tongues. If you aren't in faith, you'll quit speaking in tongues. If you're in unbelief, you'll say, oh, this is silly. This isn't doing anything. And you'll stop it. So if you continue to speak in tongues, it's just like it pushes you into the spiritual realm and the Holy Spirit starts giving you supernatural revelation. It's really a powerful, powerful, powerful gift. Amen. Anybody else here need to receive this gift of speaking in tongues? You know, the Lord's speaking to me. There's half a dozen people sitting out there that you don't speak in tongues and You aren't coming forward for whatever reason. Maybe you think, well, I've already prayed and nothing happened. I'm afraid I'll go up there and nothing had happened. Well, I can guarantee you, you stay there and nothing's going to (laughs) happen. You just need to go ahead. Here comes one of them. Here's another one. There's two. Here's three. Here's four. There's five, six. We got more than six. Praise God. Isn't that great? I knew you were out there. Praise the Lord. You know, before you can receive the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to receive Jesus, who is the one who gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. Is there anybody here tonight who isn't absolutely certain about whether or not you've ever been born again, whether you've been born from above. You may believe. There was a woman here this morning who said she believed in Jesus, but she didn't think she'd ever been saved. And you know, that's accurate. There's lots of people who believe in Jesus. The Bible says you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. And what a tremendous put down. In other words, he's saying, if all you've done is believe that God exists, you hadn't done anything that the devil hasn't done. You have to do more than believe that he exists. You have to make him your Lord. You have to turn your life over. And when that happens, you get born again. You get changed in the heart level. Is there anybody who's not absolutely sure about whether or not that's happened to you? We need to pray with you first and get you born again before we pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can see who you are. Here's one down here. Anybody else? Here's another one. Anybody else? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. Are you sure? All the rest of you sure you're born again. Amen? This is a question. Shake your head. Yes or no? See, here's a couple of more down here. All right, what I want to do is pray with you first. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer that will say what you need to say. You have to believe it. It doesn't just work automatically. But if the scripture says, if you will confess it with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer that's going to say what you need to say. And if you will say these words and believe it in your heart, then you'll be born again. Isn't that a good deal? 
He's already paid for your sins. It's just a matter of will you reach out and appropriate the forgiveness of sins that God has already provided. Let's everybody say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you have risen from the dead and that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? Amen. Welcome. Welcome to the family. Praise God. You know, if you believe that, you're totally different on the inside. You may still be a woman or a man on the outside, but inside you're a brand new creature. I've got a book that will help explain to you what just happened. And according to the Bible, you're all now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what God created you for. These that just got born again in their spirit, they used to be a habitation for the devil and all of the evil. Now they are a temple for the Holy Spirit. And so that's what God made you for. So you don't have to beg him to fill you. This is what he made you for. It's what he created you for. He wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have him. So all you got to do is just ask one time. We're just going to ask one time. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We're going to ask, throw open the doors of your heart and welcome the Holy Spirit to come fill you. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask, then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask and then there's a time to believe that God did what you said. And so we're going to quit asking and we're going to start thanking God. I want you at that time, after they lay hands on you, to start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you feel like. We didn't ask for a goosebump. We're just believing the Word of God. And I want you to start thanking God at that time. After they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and start just thanking God because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless God. This blesses God. He just loves to see you give up. I yield. I surrender. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on. You're going to start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues so that none of you will feel like we're just listening to you. And as we worship the Lord and speak in tongues, the Bible says when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God and we want you to switch from thanking Him in English to start thanking Him in tongues. And there's a lot I could say about this, but let me just say this one thing. The number one thing that hinders people from speaking in tongues is they think the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and make you start talking uncontrollably that you have no control over it. That's not what happens. It's just the same as when I preach tonight. I believe God spoke through me, but He did not take my mouth and make it move. He didn't force it. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out with my sense of humor, my personality. I spoke. I didn't just open my mouth and wait on God to take my mouth and make it talk. I spoke, but I believe God inspired it. Speaking in tongues is the exact same thing. It says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the inspiration. 
You have to speak. The Holy Spirit's not going to force you to speak. You speak and by faith believe that it's the Holy Spirit inspiring it. And once you begin to do it, God will prove to you that it's not just you. It's inspired by God and it'll be a powerful thing. But it's going to be a step of faith on your part to just believe and speak. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. Y'all ready? Yes. That was a question. Amen. This lady got born again. She's ready. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. They are now believers. They are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we open up our temple doors. We welcome you to come into our lives. We want your power. We want to speak in tongues and operate in other gifts. We want to have this revelation that comes through your power. We want you to inspire us. So we just open up the doors of our heart and welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into our life right now. We ask you, we give you freedom to come in and take charge of our life right now. We lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit now in the name of Jesus. We loose this power into you. We loose the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We release this gift of speaking in tongues and other gifts into you right now. And Father, we thank you that the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is flowing through our hands and these people are receiving. Now I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God that He gave you the Holy Spirit and that you received. Talk out loud. Say something out of your mouth. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the Holy Spirit. Thank you for filling me with your power. Thank you that I am God-possessed and that I have this gift of speaking in tongues. Now those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's begin to worship the Lord and speak in tongues right now. And as you speak in tongues, I want those of you who came forward to receive, quit thanking him in English and start thanking him in tongues right now. Start speaking in a language that you don't know. Make syllables, sounds that you don't know. It's not coming from your brain. It's coming from your heart. That right now, just speak. Don't worry about what it sounds like. You don't have to understand it. You aren't talking to yourself. You're talking to God. God knows exactly what you're communicating out of your heart. You're bypassing all of the doubt that's in your mind. And you're going straight out of your spirit. You're praying without fear, without unbelief. Man, it's powerful. And as you speak, the Holy Spirit is just quickening your mind. Some of you are being delivered right now of habits and things that were in your life. Man, bondages are broken over you. This lady that got born again here tonight is being delivered as the Holy Spirit comes on her. She's just being delivered, all kinds of things coming out of her. Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for setting us free. Just speak. Be bold. Thank you, Jesus. You're praising God is what the Bible says. You're speaking in a heavenly language. You can't speak in English and tongues at the same time. You'll have to quit speaking in English and you have to speak in tongues. You can't pray in tongues with your mouth closed. You know what? You got the power of the Holy Ghost on you. 
Right here is the anointing of God. Don't shake your head no, shake it. Yes, 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 you got it. Here's the anointing power of the Holy Spirit flowing. You know, if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue will be different. It'll be unique to you. You can't say what they're saying, but it'll get you to talking. And once you start, don't quit. It'll come out different. Just keep talking. Don't quit. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise you, Jesus. Boy, many of these are speaking in tongues. Many of these are speaking in tongues. The power of the Holy Spirit is flowing. Thank you, Jesus. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, this is more powerful than what you know. Some of you may have felt something. When I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing, but I believed. I just took it by faith, and I guarantee you, it's changed my life. And whether you felt anything or not, God has released this power on the inside. He said He would give the Holy Spirit to those who asked. You asked. God gave you this power. Somebody might say, but I didn't speak in tongues. When I first asked, I didn't speak in tongues either, but it's because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught that that was of the devil. And I was so afraid and worried about whether it was going to be me that I didn't understand. And I had some questions that were hindering me. But you know, over the years, I got my questions answered. I've written a book about this. And it's also about what true salvation is. So those of you who came forward for salvation, it'll also explain what true salvation is. It will explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It'll talk about reasons why people don't speak in tongues. It'll help you. And I've had thousands of people get the book and then go speak in tongues. And I tell you, what's happened to you tonight is really powerful. More powerful than any single person down here knows. And so you need to read this book and get the full impact. It's a free gift to you. And I'd really like to give it to every single person. Also, we have people that if you have a question, they'll answer your questions. If you need prayer, they will pray with you. There's people over there that can minister to you. But... If you would, I'd like to ask you to follow Ashley right here. He's an English chap with his arm up in the air. He's a great man. And if you will follow him, he'll lead you to a room, give you a free book, and help you any way we can. We want you to get the maximum benefit out of what happened to you tonight. So would you do that? Would you just follow Ashley and let him give you a book? It'll only take a minute. You'll be free to come back in here. But I really want every one of you to get the full impact of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, if these people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and born again, then they've got everything on the inside that God has given us. The rest of it is just working out what God's put on the inside. Isn't that great? The rest of their life will be mining what God has already deposited on the inside. Well, praise the Lord. God bless you. 
These are our prayer ministers down here. And I'd like to offer them to pray with you. Sometimes people think I'm the only one that can pray. But you know, every one of these people love God. And like I was preaching, the, God, the grace of God is the same towards every one of us. Now, there are gifts of healings and gift of miracles. But you know, I don't have any of that. I've seen my own son raised from the dead. I've seen three people raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open. But I don't have a gift of faith or a gift of healing. I'm just praying as Joe Blow Believer. And yet, look what I've got. Matter of fact, I talked to Oral Roberts. I was reading in my journal this morning. A year ago, I visited with Oral Roberts in his home, and I asked him about the difference between a gift of healing and just a prayer of faith. And he says, I've often wondered about that. And he says, I've wished I had a gift of miracles or a gift of healing. He says, as far as I know, I just prayed for people by a prayer of faith. (laughs) Oral Roberts, who saw thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people healed, was doing it just as a Joe Blow believer. Now, he may have had a gift of faith and didn't know it. But you know what? These people here have this gift of, uh, they are operating in this word of faith and prayer of faith and they can pray for you and we can see miracles happen. So if you'd like prayer, I'd like to invite you to come forward and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and agree. And we're going to believe God. God's already put it on the inside of you and all you need is somebody who believes that knows how to release and activate, reach out and appropriate what God has already provided. So these are our prayer ministers. I'd like to invite you to come forward and let one of them lay hands on you and agree with you. And we're going to believe God for a miracle. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards our prayer ministers so that everybody won't just stand in front of one person. Please cooperate with them. The rest of you, if you'll wait just a moment, I want to give these an opportunity to come forward and then I'll dismiss you. But we... We stay and pray with people and every night we've had a lot of miracles, a lot of healings as I'm here praying with people. So you're welcome to stay and pray with us. But if you need to go, you're welcome to go. Don't forget that we have the three services that we've already had are already duplicated on DVD and CDs. And you can pick those up outside. Also, we have all of these materials We have the ambassadors for the nations. We've got the two Bible colleges that are starting here in the Boston area. So please check out all of those things as you leave. Praise God. Thanks for coming. Remember tomorrow, our services are at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Not 7, but 6 p.m. tomorrow night will be our last service. So please make plans to come back and be with us then. Praise God. You're dismissed if you desire to be. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree. And we just thank you, Jesus, for your healing power flowing to every one of these. Thank you, Father, that by your stripes they were healed. It's already been done. That you've already provided it. We aren't trying to make you heal anybody. We are just taking our authority and enforcing what you've already done. We use our life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we use our words now to curse sickness and disease. Curse infirmity. Thank you, Jesus. Curse infection. 
we curse those things and command them to die. We bind you, Satan, and we command demonic powers to let go of people's bodies right now. Somebody here has been tormented in your mind. You know, there's a lot of different ways that that could happen, but I'm just impressed of the Lord right now that you just are tormented. You just have thoughts come at you that you don't seem to be able to control. It could be dreams or something like that. Whoever that is, this is a tormenting spirit. I want you to identify yourself. This lady right here has got her hand up. You just can stand right there, but lift your hand so that I'm praying for you, okay? Anybody else here? Here's another one. Here's another one over here. I want you to, if this is you, I want you to stand so that I can see you and raise your hand so that I can see which ones I'm praying for. Right now, we just break these tormenting thoughts. Satan, I bind you. I bind these demonic thoughts and command them to stop now in the name of the Lord. The memory of the righteous is blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Let's have you come right here. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the Lord just shows me that he has done a miracle. He has set you free from a lot of things. And the devil is just tormenting you. He can't get you to cooperate and yield to him in your actions. And so he's just coming against you in your mind and bringing things back to you and tormenting you. And I break this right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I command that tormenting spirit to leave you and to let you go. And Father, I pray that you reveal your love to her and to all of these others who are standing. Father, just show them your great love. Perfect love. Cast out fear. I command this fear to leave them. This tormenting fear to be gone out of their life now in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we thank you. Praise the Lord. Well, that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing in your body. Father, we receive that. This is happening for every one of you right now. Here's the power of God setting you free. This fear, this torment is gone. Some of you, when you sleep, he's been tormenting you with dreams. From this time forth, the Bible says that he gives his beloved sleep. You will lay down in peace and sleep and your sleep will be sweet because the Lord makes you dwell in safety. Father, we agree and we receive this and thank you for setting these free right now from these tormenting thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. We thank you for your healing power has already been given. And we receive it manifesting, coming out of the spirit realm and into the physical realm. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There's someone here that when you walk, you feel pain in your feet. It's like you've got, uh, I don't know, you got, it's like a bone spur. It could be something else, but you just got pain in your feet. It don't necessarily feel it until you walk, but you feel pain when you walk. The Lord is ministering a healing. It's going to be over tonight. If that's you, if you felt pain in your feet when you walk, I want you to stand right now and raise your hand. I'm praying for you and God's setting you free from that. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Stand and raise your hand. 
Here is the healing power of God flowing towards you right now. Father, I believe that that's you that spoke that to me, that your Holy Spirit is moving through this room. And for those that are standing with their hands up, I release this anointing and I command these feet to be healed. Now, whatever is wrong, whatever causes that pain in their feet, neuropathy, bone spurs, any kind of cuts or lesions, Anything that's wrong, I release your anointing, Father, and we command you, feet, to receive the healing power of God. Father, we receive it. We reach out and by faith appropriate this, believing that you spoke this specifically for these people, that right now they are being healed. Thank you. I release your healing power and thank you that right now these feet quit hurting. You can move around now. Begin to move. And here's the healing power of God. You're going to be able to take steps without any pain. Father, we loose your anointing and thank you. That from this time forth, they do not have pain when they stand or when they walk. We release your anointing. And Father, we receive this. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Who in here had pain and your pain's already gone? If you've already... that. If you don't feel it, it doesn't mean you aren't healed. But if you've already experienced this pain leaving, I want you to wave at me so I can see. Here's a person right here. Here's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'm just saying that for the rest of you, even if you still feel pain, if God healed some of you, he healed you all. God's grace is the same. All you've got to do is just believe and just stand in it. I prayed for a man in Phoenix. I called out about uh, somebody who was being healed of deafness. And there must have been 50 people that stood. And I said, how many of you, your hearing has already changed? And out of 50, there was maybe five that they automatically heard things. And this guy on the front row is a friend of mine. He wrote me an email and the next morning he got up and went out to empty the trash and he just realized he could hear the crickets, that he could hear things. And he got healed the next morning. I don't understand all of these things, but you know what? Even if you didn't experience or feel it, the grace of God has come unto you. Just stand on it and it'll be like that fig tree that Jesus spoke to. It took 24 hours for what he said to become visible, but it happened instantly. You are healed right this moment. God's grace has already been released in your life. And all you got to do is just thank him. Father, I got it. And fight the good fight of faith. Don't get out of faith. Say it's mine. And you stand in it and you will see the physical manifestation of that healing. Amen. Praise God. I believe that. I believe it. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these healings now in Jesus' name. Somebody here has hit your head, the back of your head. And I don't know how that happened. It could be a car accident, like a whiplash or something. But somebody has hit the back of your head and you did damage. It's causing problems. I don't know what it is. Could be pain, could be anything. But here's, here's a person right here. Anybody else that you've hit the back of your head and this is causing problems. If that's you, I want you to stand. Raise your hand. Here's a brother over here. Here's another one back here, another lady. Anybody else? Father, for these right now, I just thank you that you are healing them. You by grace are telling me what you've already provided. What's happening right here. And I speak this forth in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit is healing them of whatever 
damage this has done to the back of their head. We speak healing over them. You be healed now in Jesus' name. I command pain to be gone. Command any problems with their neck or spine to be healed. Whatever the damage is, Father, I loose the power. Loose your anointing. That which you've already provided, I speak it into existence. Command the pain to be gone. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and receive it. Thank you that this is over. Over in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. I believe that one of you had some damage done so that there's been little pieces of bone that were broken loose and floating around in there. I don't know if you've had that diagnosed, but God is healing that. I believe that that's over. Father, we agree. We receive that and believe that by your stripes, we are healed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Somebody here's got a problem right here on this underside of your arm. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a muscle problem. Maybe you've got tumors there, but somebody here's got something right here on the underside of your arm and uh, God is healing that. If you've had a problem here, if that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's somebody over here. Anybody else? Here's another lady. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Here's a lady over here. Here's one down here. Father, right now we release your power. And whatever this problem is, I speak the healing power of God. We command the sickness, any disease, any tumors, any problems with the muscles, whatever this is, we just speak healing towards this and believe that, Father, you are healing them right now, that this is over. They aren't having any more problem. Thank you that by your stripes they were healed. And we agree and we receive it. And thank you for that healing now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise God. You know, again, I just feel like there's so much happening in here. When you teach on stuff like this, people's faith rises because they believe that God's already done it and all they've got to do is receive it. I believe that there's lots of miracles happening in here. A lot of things. Again, let me just ask that if you believe, if your faith's been quickened, if you believe God's already provided it and all you need is an opportunity to act now, you've received understanding, you just want to act and reach out and receive it then I want you to stand. It doesn't matter what your situation is. And I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. And I believe that God is going to heal all kinds of things right here. If that's you, if your faith has been quickened, if you know you've got it, and this is just an opportunity for you to reach out and receive it, I want you to stand. And we're releasing the power of God right now. Father, I thank you for all of these. And I know that whatever their need is, Before they had the needs, you already had created the supply. Before they had the question, you had the answer. Before they ever had a need, Father, that you have already supplied everything. And so we right now just reach out and receive our healing. We receive whatever it is that they need. Creative miracles. Father, we receive miracles. We receive healings. We receive your power flowing right now and setting people free in Jesus' name. Bodies, you be healed. 
You operate in what I was talking about tonight. Use your tongue. Speak death to sickness. Don't talk to God about it. Talk to your sickness. Speak cancer, you're dead. Heart problems, you're gone. Sugar diabetes, you're gone. Blindness, you're gone. Deafness, you're gone. Pain, you're gone. Talk to it. Command those things to get out of your body. And now release life with your words. And speak that you're healed, that your body's recovering. Any parts that have been damaged, that they are being restored by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Speak forth your faith. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Father, we release your power with our words and say that we are healed. That healing is coming in our bodies. And Father, what is in our spirit is coming out into our physical body. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive your power flowing in all of us. I thank you that you're helping people to see that they've already got it. That you've already released this power. Now we are just resting in you. We are from this moment on saying that by your stripes we were healed. We are not the sick that are trying to get well. We are the well and Satan is trying to make us think we're sick. We refuse to accept it. We refuse to go back into these things. Father, we stand firm in the freedom that you have given us, the liberty. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We agree and we receive it. We just thank you that right now it's a done deal and it is coming to pass. We believe, confess it with our mouth and believe that we shall receive in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want you to begin to thank God right now, just like you believe you were healed. Amen. (laughs) Let's praise God. Father, we thank you that we are healed, that your healing power is in our bodies. And from this moment on, we recover. We recover in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I'm expecting to hear a lot of great testimonies about what God has done in your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it looks like everybody's getting prayer. I'm going to let you go. Don't forget tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And we also have that meeting about the Bible college immediately after the morning service. If you've ever thought about that, you ought to plan to come and stay And just sit in and see what God would have to say. Hear about what God's doing and I believe you'll be blessed. God bless you.